This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Back of the Nest. Match Review Podcast. www.backofthenest.com Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest Review Show. I'm Chris Hamling and today uh, we're recording a very special podcast with zero preparation, directly reacting after the 2-0 defeat against Aston Villa. Uh, myself and DR Kerners will join you in just a moment. No paywall, no subscription. Back of the Nest. Fan-created podcasts, videos and articles. Free forever. <laughs> I don't keep the raspberry in under any circumstances. That was like a edit point. <laughs> Hello, DR. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. <laughs> nothing he's just gone you've gone on mute why have you gone on mute in, in <laughs> reaction yeah yeah i just done a double click so oh, just okay. to reverse mute. Right, let's start this again that's in, no, it's just offensive to immediately go on mute as soon as i say hello to you what's your problem <laughs> no no just start again start again oh i refuse to start again this is carrying on you've just got you know you're just rude that's the thing yeah um, oh so man we obviously usually we'll, we'll stop and we'll have a chat won't we and we'll we'll talk about 
you know, what we've been up to and all that sort of stuff. But we decided that we'd record probably a, a shorter podcast um, with whoever was available, and that's you and me and uh, producer Mikey. Um, and we've just seen Palace lose 2-0 to Villa. Obviously, there's things to talk about in the game, but, you know, the reaction on, on social media has been pretty strong. Um, a lot of people talking about it being something of a watershed moment in terms of Roy. Uh, a lot of people who, who seemingly have defended him in the past, that seems to have been perhaps the final straw. Um, because yet again, he's he's gone out, picked the same team, not given the opportunities to the younger players he said he would. Um, you know, it's difficult to know what he's trying to do, isn't it? I mean, you know, it, if the season's done and we're just trying to get through the games, why isn't he thinking ahead and playing different players, you know? Um, but but if we are trying to protect the integrity of the league and put our best team out against Villa, why are we so bad? I I mean, where did, where do we start? Where do we start? So, of course, last game against against Chelsea before the game, he did mention that we just have to get through these games. And for a Premier League manager to say that when we've when we've still got something to play for, he's been talking about this top half finish for so long now. Not even European spot, just top half. It's, it's, it was a bit confusing then. And I don't know. Can you really blame the players? I don't think I can. I For, for this reason alone, if your manager is not inspired to go and win games and he's trying to get through these games, then what type of message are you sending to your players? So as a whole, I'm not really that surprised how we're playing because it starts from the top. It starts from the manager. If your manager doesn't care, then why should you care? And that's why I don't think this result against Villa was wasn't a surprise for me anyways, because I already had low expectations going into the game because the club as a whole doesn't have high expectations. So I think from top to bottom, it's just a complete mess. And the fact that we've lost five in a row now, struggling to get forward and score goals, and we haven't even had an injury crisis. I mean, today you look at our squad, we've got his best 11 out there. So what's the excuse? There isn't any excuse really. And you can lose games, but not like that. Not like that. That's just unacceptable. And... The players should really look at themselves and the manager and say, what's what's next? What's next? Because I really don't know where we go from here. I could see us losing the rest of the games. Um, oh, and easily. Not point. Easily. And, what, and what's getting missed at times is, yes, OK, we're, we're getting to the end of a season, but the new season starts in a matter of weeks afterwards, doesn't it? So it's not like we've got this long summer, we've got a, you know, a window, we go and get players in, bed them in, get you know get them all working together. Well, it's, it's you know... The new season will be on us before we know it. And if you go into that, having lost eight in a row and being playing terribly and your best players supposedly just not performing, you know, it's a, it's a truly, I mean, that motorbike is furious about it. And it's just, just, you know, I mean, it's absolutely infuriating. And I suppose probably the, the worst thing is, as you say, it isn't surprising anymore. And you just think, well, well what is the plan? What are we trying to do? Um, you know, I, I, look, I'm frustrated with Roy and, and even before the game, you know, you know, me, me all season, I've been, I've been pretty fed up, and I've been trying every time there's like a glimmer of hope or a glimmer of light. I've started, I've tried to grab onto it and try to be positive, so I'm not just doing this show every week slating the guy or anything like that. But there's just nothing to cling on to anymore. There's no, there's no real hope, and there's things creeping out, isn't there, deal? Like in the in the stats, so we haven't scored in 16 out of 37 games this season. We've won, that's 37 competitive games in all competitions, including failing to score against Derby and Colchester. We've we've won six games since October 2019. And, you know, you start thinking about that and people talk about, you know, the stability under Roy and how long he's been with us and you know, how it's not been great. We've changed so many managers all the time. Um, but it's starting to get indefensible. 
what's what is the plan? Uh, you you mentioned a good point there. The plan with Roy is for him to keep us in a league, and he's done that comfortably this season. And for that reason, there was no reason to really sack Roy because we haven't really struggled to stay up. We've been comfortable all season long, and at points even for. Uh, Six games ago, six games ago against Bournemouth, we were talking about European spots. So we've been pretty comfortable. So you can't really sack him during the season. But let's say we lose these eight games. It's, it doesn't send a great sign, as you said. And Roy's job here is just to keep us up. And the way that it's going right now, I don't care if he's at the club next season. The players are not at it. He's not inspiring these players, clearly. And I've said this, well, I haven't said it. I've, it's been in my head since day one that these players that are backing Roy, they're doing it for PR. I genuinely don't believe that these players love playing for Roy. Why? Uh, put yourself in Wilfred Zaha's position. Be Wilfred Zaha right now. You're Wilfred Zaha. Wait, wait, and, wait, wait, I'm trying, I'm trying. Hold on, hold on. Yep, I'm there. You're Wilfred Zaha and you're, you're this attacking creative player, but your manager says, go back and defend, go back and defend. And that Wilfred Zaha is going to love playing for Roy Hodgson. That's not your role. That's not your role. Jordan Ayew's role. I see him back so many times. That is not his role. These players are getting told to do extra than what they're used to. And, all right, cool, Jordan and I might like Roy Hodgson for playing him. But as a whole, I just see it as a PR son. I don't think these players enjoy playing for Roy Hodgson as much as we don't enjoy watching the football. Because we've seen it, even Luca today. It's frustration. It's frustration. You saw the fouls he gave away against Greedish. And then after he went off, you could see it. He dropped the captain's arm armband. He gave it to Scott Dan, um, and then just walked off in disbelief. It just seemed like from top to bottom, whoever it is, there's no players out there that wants to play, and that is worrying. If you cannot inspire your players to play a game of Premier League football, then you are not doing a good job. You are not. So, like, I mean, speaking to a few neutrals and things like that, they they always say things like, "Well, you know, it's difficult because you're not going. You know, you're not going to get." European football and you're not going to get relegated so your players have got nothing ready to play for and you know but that really kind of ignores the issues that we've seen for quite some time now and you know in trying desperately to give balance you know Roy has had a, a difficult time to a degree with transfer windows and, and the squad available to him it's you know it has been a challenge to him and maybe that's a you know a, a part of why he has difficulty trusting the wider squad but just look at today once you'd made the actual changes and brought players on who have a point to prove, want to play football, want to show what they're capable of, and more importantly, they're younger and they've got sort of fresher legs that can actually run around. You know, he's picking a, a team that looks absolutely shattered. Villa played two days after us, yet they look the fresher side. And yeah, they've got so much to play for because they're desperately clinging to their status in the Premier League. They spent a lot of money it's real problems if they go down, and it still probably looks like they will. But there's still no excuse for what happened today. What happened? What happened against Burnley when we played them? They played a couple of days after us. They played against Man City, and when they came to Selhurst Park, the same thing happened. The same thing that happened against Villa happened there. And you're telling me this is a coincidence? This is not a coincidence. This is how you can blame the restart. You can blame that, but this is two teams that we faced that we should have been way more competitive with or against. We've struggled and you just have to look at the people in charge. And you mentioned a very good point there. It's it's not right for me to put Roy the one to blame without mentioning the likes of Dougie Friedman and Steve Parrish and whoever deals with transfers because we have took the mickey out of Roy 
by not buying players. We've needed a fullback for how long? Roy last summer was talking about transfers. And we've took advantage of Roy Hodgson and him keeping us up in the league and haven't provided him with the players. So there's also that to consider. That Roy Hodgson, yes, he's done a brilliant job, but at the end of the day, I don't think he was backed enough. Aaron Wan-Bissaka is still not replaced till this day. The season is nearly done. Yes, we might be getting Nathan Ferguson, but how is that acceptable that we went into the season with one right back and that's Joel Wood? Joel Wood, who isn't the Joel Wood that we had a couple years ago. We only have one left back because Tyreek Mitchell's not in consideration. So if, if he's not going to use Mitchell, then we need another left back. We need another striker. Connor Wickham went out on loan. So what's the transfer policy saying? Dougie Friedman was actually there today. Dougie Friedman, Steve, uh, Steve Parrish and Mark Bright were all there today. So if they don't see that something is wrong, then we've got no hope. We, we, don't, we don't even need to do this podcast because if they, after, looking at, after looking at the game and not realising that Roy Hodgson is not going to use his players and he needs more players and they still haven't supplied him with the players that he needs, then it, it's just crazy. Why are we even talking about this? Well, the thing is, obviously, there is, there's, there's clearly a plan for next year and it clearly will have to re- revolve around getting younger, fresher players into the squad you know, bolstering those positions where we're light, all that kind of stuff. But it just goes straight to the point of what's, what is even the point in giving Hodgson these players now? Because right now, you cannot argue in any way that he's thinking about next season and he's thinking about the future of the club. And, he, you know, he has a duty to do that. You know, it's a little bit like when people were excusing Tony Pulis when he left and Say so, you know for, for various different reasons, and I had to you know I was saying a few people, but the thing is he just didn't do his job over the summer that year, and whilst he was still employed by the club, that was his job, and it's the same for Roy. It's his job, whether he's going to be here or not for the you know for the long term, which he obviously isn't. It's his job to start building for the future. You look at those players we're talking about who are not getting a look in, not just the established ones like you know Max Mayer and Jairo Edeval, but you know Brandon Pierrick, Sam Woods, Tyreek Mitchell. Uh, even to, uh, Nick Tavares, who's been getting on the bench, not giving those players minutes is criminal for a number of reasons. But they're, they're not necessarily going to go and be first-team players for next season or even the season after, or maybe ever. But if you start playing them in the first-team level, give them that experience, give them that, you know, that that backing. Don't say in the press after you, you know, you talk about them. Oh, they were lucky to get on, or they're fortunate to be in the squad or whatever. Give them some minutes, give them some experience, and if they don't fly and they're not you know Premier League players you're still potentially increasing their value and their likelihood of developing which is good for the club because there's a sell-on and there's you know, all those things should come together as a responsibility for Roy Hudson and I just cannot help shake the feeling that he just isn't that kind of manager at least not anymore he's not really thinking beyond match by match anymore he's not thinking about what's best for the club he's thinking about picking his favourite, best 11 every week and just finishing the season. And that's not what it's about right now. No, no, but why should he, though? Why should he think about the future? Why? It's his why job. No? It's his job. No, no, that's not his job to think about the future. That's that's the club's job. That's The club needs to think about the future. Roy Hodgson is here for one more year. One more year. And then after his contract is done, he doesn't have to deal with Palace. He hasn't been here. It's not like we've had Roy Hodgson, no so Alex Ferguson. It's not like we've had Roy Hodgson for 20 years at a club and he loves the club and he's looking at the future. He doesn't care. Right now, he needs results. He needs results. He's caring about right now. He's, he's, not, getting, he's, he's not getting results, first and foremost, at the, at the moment. But I, look, I understand that argument, right, dear? I'm not, I'm not going to rubbish what you're saying because you're right. You know, His priority has to be 
as we said, keeping Palace in the Premier League. It's the fact that that is done. It has happened. And what he's doing now, if anything, it's damaging, isn't it? If you think about people looking from the outside in, prospective new signings, you know, younger players coming through the youth system, are they looking at that and thinking, this is a club that I want to stay with? This is a club that is going to develop me and look after me? They can't be. But but more importantly than that, I, I can't agree with the part that you say it's not his job. It absolutely is his job to look after the interests of the football club. And he has a role in doing that. Yeah, under 23 football, you know, youth football, whatever you want to call it, that's there to help develop players. Loans are there to help develop players. But primarily, right now, what are you going to do with these games, with these players who are on the fringe of the first team? What are you going to do with them? Because sitting them on the bench, letting them watch terrible football is not doing anybody any favours. And that's what winds me up the most. So the only players right now, the youth players, I think I think we do overhype youth players, youth players at times. Um, but the only one ones that I want to see is Mitchell uh, for Patrick Wanano and maybe Pierre come on for a bit. But we haven't even seen them. And maybe you have a point for those type of players. But I, if I'm in Roy's position and I know that I'm only getting, going to get paid for another year and I'm seventy years old, why on why on earth would I? consider thinking about the next five years but but the the Dougie Friedman Steve Parrish whoever's in charge whoever's at the top and is calling the cards they're the ones that should go to Roy they're the ones that should say look bro we know that we got another you, you got another year left can you start focusing on this place and if Roy disagrees then clearly there's a clash there this man is not looking at the future and you want the future to to be different so what happens you get rid of him so it's on them as well. They need to talk to him. They need to say, look, I think these players need to get more opportunities because at the end of the day, we are safe, Roy. And, you know, we've got nothing to lose. So can you give these players a chance? Because we're looking at the future behind the next two to three years, not only next season. And if Roy says no, then that's a clash. That's a clash for for the ball to deal with, for Steve Parrish and Doug Friedman to deal with. And if they're not happy, get rid of Roy. But they have to be included as well in this because the future is in their hands. Roy's not no, going to be here. You're absolutely right. And, and you know, and I would strongly believe that they would have already done that. They would have already, you know, talked about the future with Roy and, and made these points. But, you know, he's a, he's a very, very stubborn guy. We've witnessed that, um, you know, throughout his tenure at Palace. You know, he has his he has his favourites and he has his way of playing. And you see it even today. You just, I mean, you know, we are focusing on the, the game against Villa. There was no attempt at any point, really, to do anything different. You know, the first sub at half-time, oh, Maka for Maka. You know what I mean? It's Maka for Maka. What did that achieve? You know, first of all, Luca doesn't... He looks like he's struggling. He really does. You know, he, look, he looks almost dead on his feet. Whatever, whatever the reason is, you know, he's, he looks like he's struggling a little bit. So that was the obvious sub. But he didn't go with that. He went Maka for Maka. You know, same for same. Um, and, it, and again, it wasn't until he started throwing on people towards the end that we we even tried to play any football. But just go through that team and start thinking about: Do they look fresh? Do they look you know ready and, and, and able to play? You know, Guaita. Admittedly, we don't really have a choice there, do we? You know, but Wardy, as you say, there's no real alternative there, isn't? Is there? And, you know, he's played every game. He he still looks in, in decent nick, but you know, there's no choice whatsoever. PVA. Doesn't actually look particularly tired. I'll, I'll give you that one. But at the same time, what's the harm in, in type trying Mitchell? Extremely highly rated by a lot of people. Ideal opportunity for him to get minutes. And if you think about when when Basaka got in the team, 
he was thrown in against difficult opponents, and we've got those coming up now. So it seems like a perfect opportunity. See if we can get that same level of of development, you know, in, in a rapid way. And then we've got real competition at left back. I've said, said, I've, I've said this. I've, I've said this so many times. I've said this so many times earlier on in the season. When we've got substitutions which are the same, McCarthy for McCarthy. How many times has that happened over the last couple of games? It feels like that's the main substitution. When Maka comes off, McCarthy comes on. When you've got substitutions that are planned like that ahead, substitutions which you know that you don't have a plan B and you know that this player fits your plan A, why on earth is Mac, should Max Meyer get motivated? Why on earth should Pierrick look forward to this game? Why on earth should Mitchell be training hard because he already knows that he's not going to play? This is top down. Even the substitutions have a big impact because let's let, step, you know, put yourself in your player's position, in these players' position. You're at training, but you know that you're not going to play. You're not going to play because this manager doesn't like changing things about. So I think he has a top-on effect. The likes of Maya, even when Maya comes on, even though when he came on, I, I'm surprised that he's even putting an effort because he rarely gets a chance. He really does. And even Jairo Riederwald, remember when he was playing good, he played good at left-back, he played good in midfield, but he still gets dropped. He still gets dropped. With, these, with some of these players, you can't win. And that's why I'm saying majority of what's happening about Roy Hodgson, what these players are saying about Roy Hodgson, I genuinely don't believe these players saying that they like playing for Roy Hodgson. How can you enjoy playing for a manager which when you do get the chance, he's going to drop you anyways? It doesn't matter how good you I think. I think obviously his favourites will like him because they don't they get picked no matter what. But you're right, there's certainly there's going to be, and, and over time it gets worse. As, you know, the, the less a player plays, the less happy he is, and that's that's always the way it's going to be. I actually had a look to see if there were ever any other Jimmy Max that could be signed, and I found uh, he's unfortunately retired now. I think he was a player playing in Scotland called James McMaster. How old? I thought <laughs> he was about 34, 35. I mean, that's right up Roy right yeah, Street, really. So he could have had a third Jimmy Mack if he was quick enough there. But um, um, hopefully some more come along soon for him. And then we can have a team of Jimmy Macks. But, like, you know, I'm making light of it. But, it, you know, it has been, it has been incredibly frustrating. And, you know, let's, let's talk a little bit about the game today and then we'll get on to some, some reaction from people on, on, so, on social media. So probably the, you know, other than everyone's reaction to the, the team that was picked, you know, almost universally disappointment and but disappointment with a complete lack of surprise. But you still hope, you know, you're playing a team that have struggled all year um, and, and and have struggled since the restart in particular. So you just hopeful that, you know, that team with that level of cohesion and that le- level of, of pre- preparation would have done something. And we did get, you know, it wasn't the best of starts to the game, but we did get a goal, didn't we? And... Um, mm-hmm. Thoughts on that disallowed goal from Sacco? <laughs> that, that, my thoughts. Um, it was clear by VAR that they were basically trying to help Villa because they've been against them over the last few games. That, that's really it because that was not a handball. Um, it, it's not rocket science. You go on social media, everyone is confused. It's not Palace fans. Everyone is confused. And it's, I, I don't get it. Maybe you saw something else, Chris, but I really, I, it, it hit his shoulder. It hit his shoulder. It has to be clear and obvious handball when it, it, it didn't even touch his hands. <laughs> so how is it clear so, and obvious handball? Yeah, this is, this, and you, the clear and obvious thing is the most unbelievable thing about it. So I'll start with, again, an attempt at balance, right? The first time I saw it at normal speed from the zoomed out angle, 
I thought he's he's kind of turned in the air as it's hit him, and I and I did wonder straight away. So I spotted two things straight away. One was are you blocking the keeper, and the other one was the fact that that Sacco seemed to have twisted in the air and actually missed it with his head. So I thought I wonder what that's come off. So I even sort of tweeted it's a goal, but I've seen two dodgy things there. Let's see what they think. So I was expecting it to be disallowed for IU on the keeper, but I didn't think Rayner was ever going to get there, so I would have thought that would be harsh. But when you see the replays, there doesn't really seem to be a single angle where it's even in any doubt. So the, the nicest possible thing you could say is that it's actually really difficult to tell how low down on the on the arm it hits, if it hits the arm at all. I mean, if you look at the trajectory, it seems to hit the bone of the shoulder because it loops up, right? That that that's what it looks like to me, um, and I'm trying to sort of accept that I might be biased and looking at that, but it looks like to me it's looped up off the shoulder. But every single person would at most be able to say you cannot realistically tell one way or the other. So what's the rule? What did the referee give? A goal. Is there enough evidence to overturn it? No. Therefore, it stays a goal. That's the answer. It's pathetic. It's absolutely pathetic. But look, as crazy as it might sound, it's not the technology's fault. That's why I would, I don't mind VAR in the Premier League. I really don't. But it's the people that's using it. You just... Best league in the world with the... I don't know how to describe these referees without sounding read or, uh, or saying a harsh word. So I'll just keep quiet. But they're just... They're not They're not set for this. They're really not set for this. The referee should go to the screen. Why, why don't you use the screens? There's screens at the stadium for you to go and check. You are the referee of this game. <laughs> That's the video assistant referee. You are the main ref. Go and check. Go and check the screens. Go and see what's gone wrong. If you don't know what's gone wrong, then go and see and make a decision for yourself. But when you have the referees who are not actually controlling the game, you're like, what's the point? What is the point? You've got two, three people controlling the game. Of course, you're going to have conflict. But at the end of the day, if you're the ref of this game, you should have the final decision. VAR is there to help you. VAR said no. All right, VAR, you said no. Let me go and have a check because I thought that was a goal because the referee didn't say anything. I didn't see the assistant say anything. So so it was a goal, according to them. But VAR said no. So so you're like, all right, it, it shouldn't be a goal. That's that's, yeah. that's, the, that's the Premier League's fault. You, you have to check the screens. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, I still don't know why they don't do it. They do it in... in you know, Champions League, don't they, more often than not. And we've seen it a couple of times, even for us, when someone's gone and had a look and see if it was a penalty or not. But, you know, I'm, again, I'm not going to say too much, but, you know, if you if you happen to search something around John Moss and the statement football is fixed, you know, you'll see some blog posts and stuff like that that have been written about John Moss and his history. So, you know, I said on Twitter, you know, to me when I see uh, something like that, um, I, I have to... I have to go in one of two camps and that camp is either the person making that decision is incredibly incompetent and you would reason that should probably lose their job as a result or the alternative is if they're not incompetent and they've made that decision deliberately then they they must be corrupt because it's it's just unbel- it's just doesn't make any logical sense there might be an explanation I haven't thought of dear so I'm going to leave it at that yeah I, all I, as I said before I, I genuinely do believe, because of what happened against Villa last game against Manchester United and all that VAR nonsense, I genuinely do believe that that had an impact on this. <laughs> the VAR had to prove something right. The VAR, the VAR had to help Villa. If Villa was safe, if Villa was in our position, do you think that would have been overturned? 
Oh no, I no, no so. chance. I don't think so. And that, that proves it. There's there's bias. It's not refereeing, it's not refereeing decision based on the actual thing that happened. It's based on other factors. What's happened last game, what's happened where Villa are right now, where Villa could have been if they didn't go wrong. So if you have situations like that, then scrap it. Scrap it. I love VAR, but if you're going to go and base decisions based on what happened last game and you have to make sure you get things correct this time around, then no, that impacts us. That really does impact us. We oh, could have really? been 1-0 up. And Villa, you saw Dean Smith after we scored. His head was down. The players' heads would have been down. It could have been a different game. Hey, um, the, um, yeah, the, the, you do think that the situation might have an impact. And the commentators the whole way through were going on about how, uh, you know, well, Villa have been on the wrong end of our loads of time. And you think, yeah, hold on a second. Remember when their keeper took the ball in the net against Sheffield exactly. United? You know, and, just, and and more to the point, who cares? You no, know, game by game, who cares whether they deserve luck or whatever? It's not not really doesn't really come into it. You know, the bottom line is the information was there to to make the right decision, and they didn't. However, that that you know, and anyone anyone who clings on to that as you know, goals change games, and it would have been a different story, would have gone on to win. Anyone who genuinely thinks that you know probably needs their head examined because of how we've been playing of late and how we played the rest of that match because we were struggling before that. We got a set piece. We got a goal that was wrongly disallowed, but we weren't playing well. Um, but most probably disappointingly of all, when we did go a goal down, we did nothing about it. Um, and it, and it's just it's just too much at times. But let's talk about the other VAR moment, that, that they got it right. And I just I have to talk about Grealish because... <clears throat> You know, again, you understand almost the decision that was given first because it, it's quite, you know, at full speed it's difficult. But when when you slow that down, and he stands on Van Aanholt's foot and then uh, foot and then throws himself to his left, flicks the hair up as well as he does it. What? How has he not got booked? <laughs> He's like he got a shot or something. I, I was so confused. I was like, "What is this guy doing?" I thought that was. A, I, I'll be honest with you. When it first happened, the way he dropped, I thought that was a clear penalty. So yeah, yeah, yeah. if I think that, then I'm not going to go and blame the referee for giving it because he did sell it very well. But afterwards, you see this guy diving and you want to take diving out of the game. Why is he not punished for that? <laughs> I mean, should you not punish players for diving? That was a clear and obvious dive. As I love to use that word, <laughs> that was clear and obvious. If I can see the Sacco handball thing, which I still can't see till now, then they must have saw that being a clear and obvious dive because there wasn't that there wasn't enough contact for him to jump about like that in the first place. And first of all, he stepped on Patrick Banana's foot. But yeah, they let it slide and he gets away with it. But that was that was that was awful. That was awful. And we talk about Wilf diving or something, but 100 percent this Grealish thing is going to disappear. It will disappear in a couple of hours. Oh, I yeah, yeah. I, to be honest, I haven't even seen anyone really talking about it even after the game. It's already oh, gone and faded away. But if that was Zaha, right now it'll be in the national press for the next five to seven days. Yeah, there's some really funny tweets actually of, a, of the zoomed-in version of, of what happened where you see him. He actually stops. This is the thing that drives me insane about it. Greenish actually cuts, stops the ball. So there's no motion anymore for him to even trip and fall over. And as he stops, he actually reaches out. And you could argue if you're being incredibly kind to him you could argue that that right foot went out to step across the ball and shield it from Van Arnholt but what you actually what actually happened is that he just stands on Van Arnholt's foot and throws himself to the floor um, 
you know, going back to sort of the decision making and stuff, you know, the whole the whole shoulder thing. Someone tweeted, um, which I really enjoyed. It's like, okay, if you're going to disallow that goal, then you shouldn't have given Wilf offside against Southampton for his shoulder being out, um, you know, being offside. So it's, it just highlights this ridiculous lack of consistency. Uh, but talking about refereeing decisions and cards, uh, Benteke sent off at the death for foul and abusive language. Um, um, now misses the rest of the season, of course. I'm probably pretty happy about that, you'd guess. <laughs> you know what? I would be happy as well. But the funny thing is, I saw that coming because whilst watching the game, I remember the last couple of minutes, he did have a little argument with a Villa player. So you could see it and he pointed towards the tunnel. So he said, after the game, let's have a talk. And yeah, as soon as the game finished, um, I'm setting up to talk to guys um to get their reactions and then all I see on Twitter is that Benteke has got a red card and yeah I, I, you know what at least he's showing passion that's probably the most passion we've had over the last five games um, from the players a player getting a red card but I guess that's the only positive <laughs> a player getting a red card is the only positive that we can look at uh, yeah, coming out from out. this game you can chill out for a bit now as well. Wait, yeah, wait for next where season. Can you go, though? Where can you go? There's nothing much to do with the virus. <laughs> That's only the point. No, no. But um, and um, just getting some reaction from from Facebook actually. John Lennon, not not that one, um, said that the referee should have given the whole team a red card so they don't need to play the next game, which I enjoyed. Uh, we got some other uh, general comments in as well. Stephen Sheffield said. Uh, Luca epitomised our performance today. He ran around like a headless chicken, but doing absolutely nothing. What do you make of Luca at the moment? I want to ask you this: What do you make of Luca? Because, <laughs> because we've talked about Luca in the past, and you you've said how people are not making the runs. It's not really his fault. You defended him pretty much. I've gone against Luca. I've said that he needs to be dropped. And yes, he did come back against Bournemouth and had a good game. But other than that, he's been pretty much quiet. But you've been a fan of Luca, so what do you think of Luca? Um, struggling at the moment. Uh, I think. Look, I, I I go back to earlier in the season. I felt the criticism he got was unwarranted, and and a lot of the reasons for that were, you know, because I didn't really see that he was doing that much different to what he usually did. I think he just what was missing was he wasn't scoring, you know, free kicks and penalties quite as regularly because he didn't have those opportunities to do so. So I, I didn't. Make, didn't agree that, that his form had dropped that much and, and the statistics kind of back that up. But what I will say is that the midfield overall has, has really struggled um, for long spells this season. You know, when we're at our worst, it's when that midfield three are all performing that same role. And I've picked it out loads of times throughout the course of the season. When we play well, so take the Bournemouth game, when we played quite well, MacArthur was much more advanced than the other two. But... Even in that game, we started when we started quite shakily in the first sort of 10, 15 minutes, you can actually almost draw a straight line across the midfield three. They're incredibly flat. They're occupying sort of very small zones of the pitch and they're constantly doubling up on each other. And, you know, that despite the fact we've got three in central midfield, that when they're that tight together, we're leaving so much space on the rest of the pitch. And eventually they have to react to that. And that's when the whole system seems to fall apart to me. And I think Luca being the anchor of that, if he is not 100% on his game, full of running, full of energy, then he is exposed and our team is exposed. So I, I understand where the criticism comes from. But I think these last few games, he has definitely been poor. You know, he has really struggled. He looks knackered. He looks like, 
well, we all, a lot of the team look like they're playing in pre-season. You know, you, that's what I'd equate it to. You go and watch those friendlies in pre-season. You're all excited about football being back and, you know, how people might be shaping up and all that sort of stuff. But generally speaking, you watch terrible football where people are just going through the motions trying to get their fitness. And that's what it feels like we're watching and probably none more so than Luca. Yeah, it's not only Luca though. It's Jordan Ayew as well. Uh, he's he's been sloppy as well. Just simple things, really. It's it, it just you mentioned a good point. Maybe it's just tiredness. It might be because there's no other explanation. Maybe tiredness. Just there's nothing to look forward to because Jordan Ayew. Ha- we've been talking about him and Vicente Gaeta being players of the season, uh, the contenders this so far. So if you have your player of the season contender struggling and not showing any energy, then you have to look and you have to look at the factors. And the amount of games that Jordan Ayew has played this season, because we've needed him to, it's been ridiculous. But right now we don't. We don't need to play Jordan Ayew. So it's another thing, really. Why why are we forcing players who are not playing well, who seem out of it, to continue to, you know, to continue giving them a chance? Why are we giving these players a chance? I think Luca. I think Luca's had a disappointing season overall. He's had one or two good games, but as a whole, he hasn't been the Luca that we know of, especially how he played last season. And my obvious replacement for Luca would be Gyro, but I don't think Roy's Gyro seems a bit too young for it. I don't think he'll be able to make that change. Um, well, I think... And there's, but the, he has played in midfield, though. To be fair, Gyro yeah, has he... come on to play in midfield, but I'm not too sure if Roy would actually drop Luca. It's that trust with Roy again. It's you know because obviously Luca's job is to screen the defense, whereas Gyro, he's a more you know he is a more talented player on the ball, and obviously as a player who's played a lot of football in defense, he has the ability to do that job. You know, everyone goes back to that nil-nil against Man City, you know, a couple of years back or whatever, where he absolutely played that role perfectly, um, but in a two for screening. But if you were to give him that role on his own. I'd like to see it personally because I think he'd be a bit more of a playmaker back there as well as a bit of defending. But, you know, I, I don't ever see Roy doing that. And I suppose that probably takes us on to the next question and the big question. And, and we had a lot of feedback on this. I'm, I'm going to give some general reactions as, as well, but I'll, I'll get to the point uh, fairly shortly. So um, Emily Bostock, who, who speaks like you do, Dior, she said, we was rubbish. It's were, isn't it? It's we were rubbish. Yeah, can't lie. I probably didn't make any sense during this podcast because I'm thirsty, my mouth is dry. But yeah, I've been getting for it. <laughs> but she yeah. said we was we was rubbish. Uh, Lisa Stoughton has gone for depressed. Uh, Danny Glenister went for uh, several messages. The first one was shit. Then he sent a follow up that said shit. The third message was shit, and the fourth message was and shit. So uh, thanks for that, indeed. Um, Dwayne Davis went for a little bit of an upgrade on that. Went for dog shit. So um, I was quite impressed with that. Uh, John Harris went for expletive, meaning that Mikey doesn't have to bleep that. Oh, there were some additional shits as well from from Danny. Another another two. Um, I'm thinking that. Yeah. Up car. Oh God, I've gone to pronounce that after beer. Sorry, mate. Upcar Baradia, there you go. Uh, he said, I'm shocked the death of Glory MacArthur for McCarthy substitution didn't inspire a thrilling comeback, which I very much enjoyed, uh, which he talked about earlier on. But uh, a couple of people, so in particular, Ash Easton um, and Benji Tinker, BA Honours as well, good name, Benji. Um, I've said, uh, Roy to go. Jeez. Roy <laughs> to go. 
So you and you are Roy to go, man. <laughs> I don't know, you know. <laughs> be talking Come on, mate. No, no. Look, listen. I'll, yes, I'm ninety percent Roy to go. I'm ninety percent. The ten percent left of me is because of what he's done this season, but it's not looking. It's not looking bright. Um, I just want to see what we do against United now that we haven't got Zaha. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't really see a future under Roy anyways. So this might be a good time. You know, we've got, we posted recently that we've, um, we got a £5 million profit in, in finances. So that's been a positive. So right now might be a good time to go and buy, get a new manager, get some new players in, lower the average age of squad for a manager who actually wants to play youth players and start fresh. Because if we lose the next eight games, I, that's that's Pardew form. That's Pardew form. That's that's worse than Frank De Boer. You know the football that we're playing right now. I enjoyed it with Frank De Boer. At least back then we were trying to play football. But now we're not even playing anything. We're just running around like headless chickens. So yeah, I would say I'm Roy out. Um, but the replacements, I'm, there's so many names out there. I don't know which one I'd pick. And who would actually oh. want to come Palace? Well, while you, well, whilst you're, and I know you, you asked the question on Twitter as well, so I'll give you a quick chance to have a, a look at the responses on that because they're quite varied. I've, I, had a, I had a quick scan earlier on. But just to give um, my views on, on Roy as well, as I've mentioned at the start of the show, you know, obviously I've had problems with him for a little while now um, because I just, I'm not one of those people who, who desperately thinks we should play every match, you know, attack from the off and entertain and would automatically win games because that's always the, the struggle. What I've always struggled with is is when we've had the debate, people have always sort of approached my criticism from the angle of, you know, Roy's methods get get points, they get results. He's keeping us in the league. He's a safe pair of hands, and it's always from the the idea is that that method that Roy has devised for doing that is the only way that you can achieve that, in light of overwhelming evidence in the Premier League that that's not the case. You know, Chris Wilder is a fantastic example of a manager, and he has he has had time to build a philosophy at Sheffield United. But he has, you know, if you look at their squad, I mean, even that who they, they beat three 0 the other day, um, Chelsea, that was it, yeah, yeah, who we we struggled against because Chelsea have a, a, a soft centre, if you like. If you go at them, they they do struggle because they're a young side, and you know, then there's they've got issues in defence. So, you know, he's got. You know, the two players who scored, David McGoldrick and Ollie McBurney. McBurney's a young player, so he's all right, you know. And I don't rate him massively, but, you know, I haven't probably seen enough of him to know whether he's that great a, a striker or not. But I consider him a, a low-level Premier League striker at best. David McGoldrick is championship all day. Struggled all season. So you can talk about our lack of lack of front players, if you like. But, you know, Sheffield United have got far worse to choose from, in my view. You know, they've got a 95-year-old Billy Sharp as well. So, but to achieve the results that they achieve by by actually going into games and playing and just basically deciding that they're going to give the opposition the challenge of dealing with them, not continuously focusing on how difficult it's going to be and how hard it's going to be to play against their opponent who've got a bigger squad or, you know, more expensive, better-known players. They don't, they don't have any respect for that, for that, you know, they have respect for what they do and what they deliver. So that's an example of a manager who can take a team, build a philosophy that doesn't revolve around having all 11 men behind the ball or just talking about attacking players as three and three only. You know, that's what we do. We have, 
you know, minimum six players who sold responsibility seems to be defending and then everybody else has to kind of figure it out. But, you know, sometimes it's seven. And I don't agree that that is the only way to get results. And I specifically don't agree that that's the best use of this squad that we have. Even though that squad is ageing and it needs attention, you know, I almost feel at times like we've wasted some of the time we've had in the Premier League by just not backing our players. And that's why I've been Roy out for a while. And every now and then I desperately try to, I, I, I hold my hands up and I say, you know what, I was hasty, I was stupid, Roy's results have proved me wrong, I'm backing him and I can't believe I was so dumb. And it only ever lasts a couple of games and then I'm just right back where I was. And I'm back there now, I want something different. And, and I know this probably won't stand up to scrutiny, but I almost feel like I don't care what the result of that is. If people are saying, oh, you know, careful what you wish for, you'll get relegated. I almost don't care. Um, exactly. What are we here for? What are we here for? If, we, if we're going to continue getting worried about relegation and not going to take risks, then what's the fun of that? I mean, there there isn't any fun. Um, you saw Sheffield United. They, have a, they went into the season with a massive risk. Um, you look at their players, you look at their philosophy, never knew that it was going to work out like that, but at least they took the risk to change their football, to play a style that's different. We took that risk. It lasted three, four games. We went straight into panic mode. Now, there was, of course, a couple of things else with Frank de Boer that didn't work out behind the scenes. But realistically, if we go and get a new manager, do you see us getting a manager that is different? That is different. That will try and push us forward. I don't know. The only manager that... Now I can mention the names that's coming out on Twitter. The only manager that maybe... Can it sounds crazy, but Sean Dash? I see Sean Dash as a option to replace Roy Hodgson, and then I have a feeling that you don't like that option. There's been I don't. <laughs> there's, there's been other names like Rafa Benitez. Um, but one thing to consider, um, when mentioning these names, are would these managers want to come to Palace as well? Uh, so there's Rafa Benitez, um, David Wagner, uh, Steven Gerrard, um, Jedi, who just retired, um. Pochettino, <laughs> Doug Friedman, <laughs> uh, um, Big Sam, mm. Chris Hooten, Sean Derry till the end of the season, they're getting dash in. Oh, they're just Alan Pardew. <laughs> I don't know if some of these are serious. <laughs> some of them might not be. Uh, yeah. You know, there's there's some interesting suggestions in there. And the other thing is as well, but you think about you know, I, I like uh, Daniel Farker at Norwich. I really do. I, I think he would be a great fit for us personally. Um, I'm a bit worried about him. I yeah. think, I think, I think, I think they've got a better team than they've shown this season. I think Norwich should have done way better than that. They've got young players. They've got players with talent like Campbell, like Max Aaron's, uh, like Brandia, who's a creative force going forward, and he still hasn't. I like his philosophy. Don't get me wrong. His philosophy is exciting, but. It's worrying because he had, I think he had a decent enough squad to at least challenge a bit more. But look at them in the league; they they went down so comfortably. Yeah, I think they just had a little bit of naivety, and you know, he had that lack of experience, didn't he, at Premier League level? I think this year would have done him good, and I'd be really interested to see what he could build because that's what he did with Norwich, and he and he gave young players opportunities as well. That's why I like him. But mm-hmm. I, I appreciate the, the challenge as well because obviously you're, you're right; they had they had a, a decent squad, but. I think once Pookie stopped scoring, I think they were always going to struggle. But um, but what I'm getting at is, you know, who had heard of him a couple of years ago? Who had heard of, you know, a fair few managers a couple of years ago? It doesn't have to be a name you know. You, you know, it's about doing your research, looking around and, and finding the right person. 
but you know some you know Daesh Daesh is doing a fabulous job at Burnley. I just don't know if his methods that I've read about would fit with with the the style and ethos of Crystal Palace. You're worried being being, being you... where we are, uh, being the you know the the group that we have, the background that we have. Um, he's, he's a disciplinarian and. I don't know how whether that would get the best out of um, the younger players and that kind of stuff, but you know, I'm, I'm not against it. And I noticed um, Albert asked in our WhatsApp chat while we were recording. He said, "Who would be bothered if Dougie Friedman was announced for the rest of the season now?" Um, and pretty much everyone's saying they, no one would be bothered. They'd be relatively happy. How would you feel? I wouldn't mind that because there needs there needs to be a change. I don't care who it is at this point. Well, yeah, I do to a certain degree. I don't want anyone that's not really that exciting. I don't mind the names on the list apart from a few that were trolling, I guess, like likes of Pardew and all of that. But I wouldn't mind Dougie till the end of the season. But do you see do you see um the board sacking sacking Roy? I, I don't I, I don't it costs financially as well. You just signed a new contract extension for another year. So if you're going to sack him then you're going to have to pay him that. But then I guess if you're going you know it, they have to make a decision. Do they want Roy here for next season? If they don't, then you might as well do it now and maybe put Dougie to the end of the season and then get someone else or see what happens. But it has to happen now. It has to happen sooner rather than later because, as you said, the new season isn't going to be a couple months later. It's going to be a couple weeks later. It's going to start straight away. And if we go into a new season with this type of form and with the same manager, then they, there are worrying times ahead for Palace. I really do believe that. Because I, yeah. I, I don't really see us surviving. I, no, me, me neither. With with you know, with the same setup that we've got now, playing the same way, even bring new players in, you just I don't have any faith that they'll be used unless they're you know twenty seven, twenty eight years old maximum um, with Premier League experience. I think that's what Roy wants, and I don't think that's the way we can afford to go. Um, but you know I, th- I think if roy is to go the way to do it won't really be to sack him in my view i i don't think that's what would happen i think it would be a case of you know we get through to the end of the season and roy announces his retirement you know even if he comes back like warnock or, or Allardyce, um that's that would be how he would how he how we would want it to go i think um you know pay him off anyway for the extra year or whatever but that that's how I would see it going, but you know, personally, it, I hate to say it because I, I do respect Roy, but it can't come quick enough for me. You know, the end of the Roy Hodgson reign, because I don't see it being of any benefit to us um, from from here on. I think the only benefit that he had was the stability bar, because we haven't really had a manager in the Premier League um, for a long period of time. It's not even that long. I think Roy's been at Palace for what two seasons now, or is it three? He's completed his third season, so I think. Yeah, for I think it gave the board a bit of stability and that's what they liked about Roy because there wasn't any threat of him leaving and if it was, then he was going to retire. So they clearly had a conversation. Roy was happy to go ahead and manage for um, a couple more years. And yeah, they were like, let's do this. Let's have a bit of stability and let's try to build. But the only thing why the board might not want to sack Roy is because they might see it differently. They might see that Roy can still keep us up next season if we do buy the players, because you have to consider that as well. Maybe they've had discussions that we're going to get Nathan Ferguson, which still hasn't been confirmed, and I'm not too sure what's going on. If we get another striker, another fullback, um, 
you know, maybe we can stay up in the Premier League. Yes, this season hasn't ended the greatest, but maybe they believe in their plan. And if that's the mm. case, then why would you sack Roy? Why would you sack Roy? Because you gave him another one-year contract extension, but it all depends on them. Maybe they see it differently. Maybe they have a plan in place. No, absolutely right, and you and you would you would hope that they do. And you know, I dare say, I've said it before. There's definitely some succession planning going on because of Roy's age, and that has to have happened already. You know, I'm, I'd, probably people have even been spoken to, and that is entirely speculation. But you know, there there will be a plan in place. There, there, you know, there is a plan in place for a transition. I'm absolutely sure of that. However, you know what you see on the pitch and the response that you're getting, you know, in a way, the fact that the fans aren't there is probably lessening the impact more than anything, because I think it would got very, very toxic at the ground by now. But what I, what I really think of beyond that is, you know, we've got, we've got to start making some signings and, you know, got to happen now ready for the new season. We don't even know who's going to be here next season, but, um, so I mean that that's one of the biggest worries. But I suppose probably the the final thing that that concerns me the most when you when you're looking at what's going on right now, um, taking us to the end of the podcast because he said it would be a shorter one, dear, and we've ranted for nearly fifty minutes. Um, is that if you look at the number of people who simply aren't interested at the moment in watching the games, and and an increasing number of people, there's a bit of a discussion going on on our, our Twitter page at the minute about people who are saying, you know what. I don't even think I'm going to get a season ticket next year. You know, my my brother-in-law watched the game today, and you know he's a someone who who used to have a season ticket years ago. But he said to me, "I can't believe that you you watch that every you watch every game. How can you watch every game when literally all that changes is the stadium and the kits? It's it's the same thing week in week out." Oh, like FIFA. Exactly right. Yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> so when mind. when. But when, when there's that sort of volume of people who, who whose mentality has gone to that, they can't all be wrong. We can't. They can't all be kidding themselves and not seeing the, the perspective and the bigger picture and not understanding the club vision. You know, the bottom line is when there's that many people this disillusioned by it, something is wrong, and we can't get away from that. There is something wrong right now. Yeah, maybe that's the only factor that might waking up the board and say, wait, hold up, why are fans not renewing? Is this a genuine concern? Because when money's involved, then the conversation is different because that matters a lot to these um, high-profile people at the club. So maybe that is one aspect which they might consider. But right now, we're not even talking about season tickets. Um, There's nothing to suggest that we'll be at game next season. The club haven't released anything. So for people who are saying that they won't be renewing their season tickets, well, there might be nothing to renew. So in that aspect, they might be comfortable because they wouldn't have to worry about fans coming to the game or not coming to the game and being toxic. So there is that. Maybe if it did come out, maybe if we could apply for season tickets now and the numbers were low, then they'll be like, all right, fair enough. Something needs to change. But because there's nothing out there to actually suggest a big change could happen in terms of attendance to the games, they wouldn't, they might not consider it as serious threat because you actually don't know the numbers. So I think they'll brush that apart. For now, anyways. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, whatever, whatever the case, there's obviously things that we aren't party to as fans in terms of, as you say, the discussions and the plan for next year. You know, what's going on now might not be anything like a surprise to the to the board. They might be of the same opinion that, you know, let's just get through the games. It's not really important right now. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll put a decent team out every week and we'll, we'll you know, the, the, the plan kicks in 
when this is all over, they might be thinking that. I, I don't think so, but they might be. Um, but, you know, where I am at the minute is whenever whenever we're allowed back at games, I'm more looking forward to my under-23 season ticket than my than my, my first-team season ticket. I, I, you know, in a way, I can't wait to uh, to go and have a, a, a watch of the, the, the young players not managed by Roy. Uh, and seeing how they get, see how they get on. Talk, thinking about development, thinking about the future, not having to live in the, the boring, uninspiring present right now. You know what? I don't even blame you one bit. Um, I think. Look to top it off. I think what the board wanted was the new stadium to get built, the new stand, um, the new academy facilities, and once they were all done, Roy Hodgson could go, and a new manager and a new start could happen at Crystal Palace. So one of the two things has happened. We have built a, we are building the new academy facility. We've got Cat One Academy approval, which is massive in terms of being able to attract the best players um, because you you'll be playing against the big boys. But the other thing is the stadium expansion. Now, what's going on with that? Of course, it's not going to be easy. But I remember going to the actual event and they said it was going to start what during the summer, and that was what two three years ago. And I know we're edging closer now, but maybe that's why they're giving Roy these little extensions because they want that to be done and dusted. So when once we get a new manager and play a new type of football, we, we start a new fresh page. But that hasn't happened yet. And I feel like they're waiting on that, but that could be a risk because we might end up getting a new stadium, um, new stand built with no Premier League football to play, which would be a disaster. <laughs> Yeah, that's an interesting point you make, and you know, obviously, the finances involved in in even in building that new stand and paying off Sainsbury's whatever they need to be paid off or whatever. You know, that's imp- staying in the Premier League to be able to afford to do that is vital, and and arguably, once you can afford and you can afford it and pay for it, it's possibly less pressure in staying in the Premier League, although still loads because obviously it'd be it'd be somewhat something of a financial disaster for those who own the club if we were to get relegated. Uh, and, and at the very least, not come straight back very quickly. But that's um, that's all kind of by the by. Anyway, dear, we've done pretty well there. Um, got a lot off my chest. I feel a little bit calmer now. Uh, do about you? Yeah, my mouth is so dry. So sorry if I don't make <laughs> pronounce words and stuff. I finished a whole sure. bottle, and yeah, it's still dry. I'm not even lying. Look, it's right here. Like there's nothing in it. <laughs> I love the fact that you're that having a having a dry mouth make, means that you might not make sense. I enjoy that. No, logic. no, no. What about the pronunciations, right? And all that. I don't oh, know I don't know. I never really pay attention to how you say words anymore. Yeah. Um. We'll see what happens with Palace. I guess <laughs> three more games, three more games of that mess, and then hopefully something different, new players, new. New something. <laughs> new something. something yeah, yeah. New, new Premier League board. New, um, new. I don't know. New referees. Yeah. I was saying, you know, I can't wait for robot referees. Get rid of the humans. That's what I say. Mm, I don't yeah. know if that worked there. Don't disrespect fair, robots. No, to be fair, right now, it seems like we have got robots. They seem like they function to be biased towards their views there. Shit robots. Yeah, all right. Mm. All right. Well, thanks, dear. Much appreciated you. for your time today. And you've been busy recording videos as well, so it's been a been a long slog for you today. So thank you very much. Yeah, talking about that shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we've, we've done well. We've done well to motivate ourselves. Uh, thanks to Marky for producing. You for listening. Um, obviously, loads of comments that are on socials and stuff that we didn't get to. 
but we've been reading loads of them and you know they're quite cathartic as well and often very amusing so thanks for those uh, the preview guys will be back probably i would guess uh some point after the game against man united on thursday to do a review of that and a um, I don't think they're going to get round to previewing it beforehand. Um, just a quick nod. What do you think about the Man United game, DR? Let's preview it now. Going to lose, yeah. right? Yeah, Wolf, Wolf is not going to be there. Bentek is out. Um, yeah, Pierre could probably still play five minutes. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I look forward to James McCarthy up front. That's what yeah. <laughs> James McCarthy out <laughs> win with, with, the, with McCarthy <laughs> going through them. Pushing forward. We're missing Jeff Slap, that's all I've got to say on it. Anyway, oh, yeah. thanks everyone. <laughs> See you later then. Bye. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.